Alex Jones telling people the world in actual testimony that he has a form of psychosis to make him believe crazy things. Plant-based protein comes to Burger King in the form of what they're calling the Impossible Whopper. Yes, a burger with no beef. And the world's first jaguar born by artificial insemination is eaten by its own mother. These are three stories that came out this weekend. They are not April Fool's stories. They are real things that happened, but not quite real enough for you to put them in the top 10. They're great, not quite top 10 material. So what stories are in the top 10 and said by you, the stories that you want to talk about the most or actually talked about all week the most, I will tell you in mere moments. My name is Jay Cleveland Payne, and this is the wrap-up show from thisistheconversation.com. This is for the week ending April the 6th, 2019. And welcome to the show. As said previously, my name, Jay Cleveland Payne, the name of this podcast is The Wrap-Up Show, and it is brought to you by thisistheconversation.com. At that website, it is the home base for the project we do to talk to the best conversationalists in the world, a non-grammatically correct sentence, but it's true to what we do. We want to talk to people around the world, and we do, about the news stories that are more important, more interesting, more on their mind than what may be uh, reported over and over and over again as a breaking news chiron, as we see here in the States. What we do and how it happens is simple. We have Two really cool social media accounts on Facebook and Twitter. On Twitter, find us at TH underscore conversation. On Facebook, it is This is a Conversation. And what you do is you just follow us on the social media. And as a story pops into your news feed, one comes down around every 50 minutes. You will see stories from various different sources, very different places on various different topics. Some serious, some extremely silly, but things that may or may not be something that the mainstream is covering. And sometimes the mainstream covers them, and boy, do you guys jump in on those pretty big as well. But it's sometimes surprising which ones that aren't really being talked about that you really want to dig into, and that's what we do here. In the first segment of this podcast, I will give you the stories, counting them down, Casey Kasem style, from 10 to 1, on how they got to be, how popular they are, and when they actually came down, and some things about the insights of the story, including bits and pieces of the stories, the articles they're coming from. In segment number two, we do what we call a discussion on the almost irrelevant story of the week. That is the story that the very bottom of the countdown, that's usually based on not having enough time to get enough gestation to get working on this one this one not so much the case this is one that was a little bit earlier uh, but didn't get all the run that it did this week it is story number 208 for so 208 distinct different podcast uh, distinct different news stories for the week or postings this week we'll explain that because some of the stories are what we call super stories we'll get to that in the housekeeping segment which is also in segment number two those are some of the errors and the omissions and some things that we sort of did to make the magic work this week. The third segment, we go into uh, what we call rounding out the top 15, and we do just that. 11 through 15, a quick look at the stories that weren't quite in the top 10 and maybe why, just show you just how close the big stories, including ones we teased earlier, could have been the top stories, and that's why. Now, how this happens is every single week you uh, follow us on the, the Facebook and the Twitter, and you interact with the stories as they come down your timeline. Like them, love them, hate them, share them, whatever you want to do. If something catches your interest, do some interaction with the actual link or actual story in your feed. And at the end of the week, we put them both into a spreadsheet that weighs the averages out and puts them into a apples-to-apples apples comparison so we know what stories go this week 
from 1 to 208. So without further ado, let's get into the actual countdown, working on brevity around here, and talk about the story that is listed as number 10 per the votes, if you will, the reactions specifically by you. And the headline for that story is, Would you pay $250,000 for Zion Williamson's busted shoe? We posted that on March the 31st, and that is a story that we came off of the Yahoo Sports by one of their actual columnists, Liz Rushar. And so it's more or less a um, commentary there, but it was basically saying that the shoe that Zion Williamson wore, the Duke player, the Duke college basketball player, who wore where his um, shoe literally exploded while on the court, causing him an injury that kept him out uh, for a few weeks in February. Um, well, it was up for auction because people want things that belong to famous people, especially if it causes them great harm, believe it or not. Why is that? I don't know, because we're human. But apparently somebody was willing to go to, they were trying to get it in an auction uh, for an auctioneer, Ken Golden was working on some auctioning stuff for recently things for some very big names. And the thought of the shoe came up. And according to TMZ, it's worth about $250,000. That's what it would be worth at auctions. Definitely six figure. It was a quote from um, the man who uh, talked about this from Golden. We won't go deep into this one because it's basically that. Big issue is that um, no one can no one can find it. No one seems to know what happened to the shoe. If it were a shoe on any other player's foot, it probably got tossed into the trash. But this shoe is worth a lot of money, and no one can seem to find it. So that's money that's not going to anyone, not going to Duke, not going to Zion Williamson's family, not going to the pockets of the auctioneer, and not going to be a trophy, a literal trophy in someone's house of something someone famous wore and did something in. So the mystery continues, I guess, because... Somebody probably just tossed it at night and rolled away because a lot of people were a bit angry that his shoe busted and hurt a player who's supposed to make a lot of money coming in and draft in a few weeks. We will see if the search for the shoe comes up with an actual shoe and if the shoe actually comes up fetching $250,000 or maybe more by this time with the mystery growing in a sense. We move on to the next story in the list and the headline for that story reads like this. Lori Lightfoot will be Chicago's first black female mayor. This was posted on Tuesday, April the 2nd. This gets a bumper response. That means more people responded to this in the reactions than the previous story, the number 10 story, bumped from 9 to 10 of 0.72%. Not very much, but just enough to make it the number 9 story. The source from this week's story, of course, it was everywhere as people were keeping up this one. We just pulled it straight from the AP. So I'll read a few lines from the actual story. It's been updated a few times since the second. I'll read the lines from the story as it reads now. Former federal prosecutor Lori Lightfoot easily won the Chicago mayor's race Tuesday, earning support from every part of the city to defeat a longtime political insider and become the first black woman and openly gay person to lead the nation's third largest city. Lightfoot, who had never been elected to public office, delivered a commanding victory over Tony Preckwinkle, who served in the city council for 19 years before becoming Cook County Board President. Preckwinkle also is chairwoman of this county's Democratic Party. Lightfoot promised to rid City Hall of corruption and help low-income and working-class people she had been, quote, she said had been, quote, left behind and ignored, unquote. 
by Chicago political ruling class. It was a message that resounded with voters weary of the political scandal and insider deals and who said that city leaders for far too long have invested in downtown at the expense of neighborhoods. Going deeper into the ideas of that, number one, this means that no longer is the mayor Rahm Emanuel. Rahm Emanuel, of course, famous for being one of Barack Obama's buddies and being his chief of staff for a while in the White House, leaving that job to go be a two-term mayor of Chicago, number one. Uh, the obvious thing is first black, for first black female, and first lesbian, if that means something, uh, to, to, to lead the city. Uh, but it also means she has a distinct, weird background as opposed to the normal politicians. And she has pledged, like many have before, to essentially help the disenfranchised. Many have said that. The problem, the, the issue is not a problem per se, but the issue in this one is she's a person who apparently is looking to make that happen. She is a political insider for the most part, although being a federal, a federal prosecutor is kind of an iffy sentence on that one. But she is an an outsider to, as opposed to the regular Chicagoans or Illinoisans, I'm not sure if that's how it's said, uh, who have been in control of the real political battles for a while. Even Rahm Emanuel, who was a more or less outsider to the, the natives of things going on in Chicago at the time, was a political insider, literally working for the president of the United States before going to get this job. He didn't have the run for it, but he got the job. We have a lot of eyes on Chicago because, of course, people are talking about the, the, the booming downtown area. The metropolitan area is beautiful, and a lot of people love to go to Chicago for that. But it also has the very famous, often reported on, crime rate and murder rate in the city, which is going down as well. But we'll see what Lightfoot's leadership will do to bring that down even further. The next story is number eight for this week, and it brings back memories of a time not so long ago, but very, 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 very much in the minds of people who like making fun of people of means. This is the headline, and we got it from the Bro Bible site, so it's got a bit of a slant in the writing of it. Miami's Ultra Music Festival is being compared to Fire Festival after tens of thousands of people were left stranded and forced to walk several miles across a bridge. That should tell you pretty much all you need to know there. We posted it on Saturday, March the 30th. This gets a bump of response of 22.86% from the nine story. And we will read a few lines from the actual story from Bro Bible. So as we said, it's got it's from Bro Bible, so it's going to sound like that's where it came from. Miami's Ultra Music Festival is off to a terrible start at the concert's new home in Virginia Key. For those who aren't familiar, Ultra was kicked out of the downtown Miami location by the city and forced to relocate. Eventually, the city of Miami and festival organizers agreed to hold the event at Miami's Marine Stadium in Virginia Key. Unfortunately for festival goers, there was no parking at the stadium and they have to cross three miles across a bridge connecting mainland Miami to Virginia Key and keep his gain to attend the event. Makers making matters worse, ride-sharing services Uber and Lyft announced they would not be picking up festival goers from the island through the festival to minimize traffic. Attendees leaving the festival are forced to take shuttle buses provided by Ultra to three mainland hubs. A little bit more, because I love the painfulness of it. Of course, nothing went according to plan on day one of the festival, as tens of thousands of people were left waiting for shuttles at the wee hours of the night. If you go to the actual link that we have, we have links to all the stories on this week's 
page, this week's link for the podcast at thisisaconversation.com, you can see the 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 kerfuffle going on on the social medias, Twitters and Instagrams of pictures of people mostly drunk, mostly um, rich or, or faking to be rich, and mostly cursing at each other for having to, at this point, walk across a bridge to get off an island. You can check it out all on there, and you can have as much fun with people of means as you feel your need to. As we say with the many things here, your mileage may vary. We keep things moving, and we go on to what is now the story at the number seven spot. It gets a bump of response of two point three three percent from the six from the eight story, and it was posted on Saturday, March thirtieth, as well. This one takes a definitely different bent to it. Here's the headline: Avengers star Scarlett Johansson and SNL comedian Colin Jost reportedly ready for marriage. Popculture.com offered us the story, and we're going to read a few lines from that website and how they wrote it up for themselves. Things are reportedly heating up between Scarlett Johansson and SNL's Colin Jost, with talk of a wedding even on the horizon. Johansson and Jost first took their romance public in November 2017, and over the last year have quietly become a Hollywood power couple. According to the new report by People, they show no signs of stopping, with plans of a marriage even on their minds. This is a quote um, from a source who told the outlet, Scarlett and Colin are in love and share many of the same interests and the same sense of humor. Scarlett is very happy. The insider noted that Joe's 36 had not made a proposal to Johansson at this time. However, quote, there is marriage talk with Colin. So it goes deeper and deeper into the love life of what's going on with them. And it talks about a little bit of their backgrounds and how they are not so much different people, but they do have they do they have had lives and had plenty of time to live those lives uh, before meeting each other and going public with this romance in 2017. So, with all the talk of the weird romances not making it lately, it's great to see one that apparently would not have been expected, but it's definitely working on the plus side. Uh, so, congratulations to Scarlett Johansson and Colin Jost. Colin Jost, who is oddly enough a a jumping pad, a, a bridge, if you will. To the next story. The two stories are not so much similar, but Colin Jost, uh, who will be a part of this upcoming weekend's WrestleMania. It's as we're recording this on Friday, the the fifth. Uh, it is uh, three to two days away on Sunday. Colin Jost will be a part of what's called the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. That's a large battle royal of many many wrestlers and two comedians, Colin Jost and his um, cohort on. On Weekend Update, Michael Che will be wrestling, per se, throwing people over top ropes in the WWE. Next story is nothing about that, but it is about the WWE itself. And the headline for that story is, John Oliver calls out the WWE over treatment of wrestlers. We pulled this from last night, tonight, his show, his show's actual page uh when they posted clips of the show the day after and the day after of course monday april the first it gets a bump of response of 21.02 percent from the number seven story itself so with that we're done with colin jost and going on to just the wwe in general john oliver goes on another i would say brilliant tirade rant on just the the idiocy the idiocy of how some things companies react this is over the treatment of wrestlers in general and specifically healthcare. care. Uh, you have to basically go click on the link at our website for 
thisisaconversation.com and click on the link and go to the page or look for the clips of this on YouTube from this week. Every couple of weeks, there's these very big, poignant rants that he goes on to. This one is about the WWE and how its employers, the wrestlers, are not actually employees. They are independent contractors with extremely weird contracts that, although they are independent, supposedly, they are bound to the WWE for exclusivity. They also don't get general health care for most cases. And many times written in their contracts, they are given the WWE or give themselves in a, a, a way to get out of any responsibility for things like death. You would think death would be something that would probably get you liable for something. Not exactly for the WWE and for wrestling itself for many, many years. But the global conglomerate that is World Wrestling Entertainment, that that took that to a whole nother level. The next story in the five spot is actually a combination for this week of two headlines. We're only going to focus on the latter headline, but this is what we call a super story. We take two related stories from related headlines, put them together and count their numbers together so they move up in the countdown. These two stories were low in the 15s before, but together they made up into the number five story. And for most of the week, because these are stories that were posted Saturday and Sunday, for most of the week, or actually Sunday and Sunday to be honest, most of the week they stood very much high in the ranking. So they were middle, uh, middle uh, between you know eight and twelve, more or less, all week long. And then a couple really, really big things that happened in the last couple of days changed that. We'll explain more in the housekeeping segment of what made this a super story and why it's like this, and explain how another related story that we'll come to in a moment is not included in this story because. It should be, but we didn't for one specific, really simple reason. I think you will agree. So the story was posted, two stories, both of them actually posted on Sunday, March 31st, and we're going to focus on the latter story. And the bump of response from the number six story was 2.35%. The source of that story is NBCNews.com. Their website, but it was all over the place because it was a very big deal throughout the week. The headline is, Rapper Nipsey Hussle killed in shooting outside his L.A. store. Okay, let me backtrack on that. I'm actually focusing on the previous story and moving into the the latter story. I was wrong in that one. We'll, we'll, this will be something you'll hear in another superstore we have in just a bit that will make more sense. But the story from NBC News on also on Sunday, because the shooting happened on Saturday, details the shooting from that standpoint and some bits and pieces from what we know now of rapper Nipsey Hussle, who of course is a rapper. He's also an entrepreneur. He's a philanthropist. He's known, well known in the community. And he also is a, 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 a self-proclaimed, uh, some people doubt that member of one of the major street gangs in LA and was doing a lot, not self-proclaimed, just do, literally doing a lot. People saw him doing a lot for the community that he lived in in L.A. and for the gangs in between. Like, basically, he was on his way, essentially, to some sort of intervention between two different gangs at the time when this happened. He owns a store in Los Angeles, and he was shot leaving his store outside outside the storefront. Later in the next, later next day, this happens Saturday night. We learn about it late Saturday, early Sunday. Later in the next day, a Monday, there's a large vigil being held in front of the store. And around the time the vigil's being held, they release more information, including the name of the person who allegedly shot Nipsey Hussle. 
somewhere around the time, maybe that was part of the issue, there was a large panic and a large sort of disruption in the vigil. And 19 people were hurt from that vigil just from the panic and confusion. We put those two stories together uh, in here, and it turned in, as you said, uh, from being somewhere between 8 and 12 throughout the week into finding its home at the end of the week at number 5. The name of that person we're withholding for a moment because he will come up in an upcoming story and we'll explain in the housekeeping why exactly he gets his own spot and we're not naming him in the shooting or in the stampede the in at the vigil the night after. Moving on to a story that is uh, very sad, especially since we just had one a few lines down about celebrities living through great relationships. This is one where it doesn't seem to be so rosy at the end once you get to the actual nuptials. They were fine when they were dating, but because we know these things, those were air quotes that you didn't see, uh, things may not be so great right now. This is the headline. Priyanka Chopra and Nick Jonas headed for divorce within three months of marriage. The source from this is Us Magazine. We pulled the story actually off MSM Entertainment. So uh, it's basically a transcript from someone else's work. And that's what we do. So we're not complaining. A bumper response of 31.65%. So y'all care a lot about this. And this was posted on Wednesday, April the 3rd. And to be honest, it was posted after me not wanting to post it. But there were some basically some some holes in, in the lineup for getting things scheduled. And this story was still trending at the time, so we put it in there, and it was trending more than enough for you guys to to respond to it this way. Let's move on to a few lines from the story so you can either bask in or mourn for the very short-ish marriage, or maybe maybe not, maybe they're freaking us out, of um, Chopra and Jonas. Actors Priyanka Chopra and Jonas Jonas, uh, Priyanka Chopra Jonas, because she took his last name and I can't read. And Nick Jonas are not having a good time with each other. The couple is already headed for a divorce, claims a magazine. According to OK Magazine, the 36-year-old actress and the 26-year-old singer are quickly falling out of love now that they're starting to really get to know each other. That's a quote from GossipCop.com. Okay. They've been fighting about everything, work, partying, spending time together. The bottom line is that Nick and Priyanka rushed into things, and now they're paying the price. Their marriage is hanging by a thread, said a source. The source added that Nick believed the actress was, quote, cool and easygoing, unquote, when they got married. But he continues. But recently, Nick has seen been seen control, has seen the controlling side of her. She also has a temper. That's something Nick wasn't aware of until their wedding celebration. Yes, the wedding celebration, the big Bollywood gala that went on between the Jonas and um, so, so yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't really know what's going on because gossip magazines have to do gossip magazines, um, gossip magazine things. They pull out things like this that may have some kernel of truth. They probably are learning more about themselves three months into marriage and realizing that things may not be as swinging as they thought it was going to be because you learn things after the marriage, after the nuptials. But we'll see how it's going. Also, credit goes to India today for pushing this because, I don't know, maybe India doesn't like the Jonas Brothers. I, I don't know. But we will see if this is actually a kernel of truth or a whole flat-out lie on whether the Jonas couple will continue to be a actual couple. And if they do, they'll be a pretty big power couple in the world of entertainment. 
Next story is is number three. It's a bumper response of 0.7%, so it's just slight above the four story. Posted on Thursday, April the 4th, and this is one that was posted as a surprise to many people whose names have, in this case, have gotten really, really familiar and really, really odd. Um, I'll read the headline, I'll do some rambling, and then we'll go from there. Eric Holder, the man charged with murdering rapper Nipsey Hussle, is being represented by former O.J. Simpson prosecutor Chris Darden. So let that sink in for just a bit. Let that marinate for a little bit. Think about all those things that you heard. So the first thing that that popped up was, oddly enough, because rappers have odd names, and the Nipsey Hussle thing was something that was slightly snickered about when he, we we actually had him in some stories a few weeks ago on some things he was doing, and he's a very big, uh, very big name in the culture as well, and of course his wife, uh, it's, I'm sorry, his, his girlfriend is um, someone, they're, they're, they do TV and stuff together, so that's a whole other thing, but that's not the focus of here. Eric Holder, who has sharing the name of a former attorney general for the United States, is the young man who allegedly shot the rapper, who oddly enough pleaded not guilty, and he's being represented by Chris Darden, a name that is not familiar for the younger kids, but if you were a teenager or a young adult in in the late 90s and uh, remember the O.J. Simpson trial, you remember Chris Darden being on the other side trying to actually put O.J. in jail and not having that work out so well. So this is a case where he's now actually in private practice and he is a defender, not public, by the way, and he's going to defend Eric Holder in this case. We'll see how that goes down the line. Very, very, very interesting times we live in right now. The source for the actual story that we pulled was the Los Angeles Times. The number two story this week is the top Facebook story this week. Even with a with two super stories this week, and the top super top story is a super story. Uh, we'll talk about that in obviously a moment. This one still had the hearts and minds on something positive this week, and basically on Facebook, a whole lot of love for these ladies, and that is where this thing is going. The headline for the story is. In historic first, Maryland's National Guard leaders are all women, posted on Saturday, March the 30th, with a bump of response from the three-story of 14.88%. Uh, a lot of glad tidings going to this one all along the along the week. And the source we got this from, our source, was abcnews.com. We're going to read a few lines from the historic article on the historic women right now. There's something special about Maryland's National Guard among the 54 state guards in the United States. Since last fall, it's the only state National Guard where women make up the entire leadership team, including two-star general who leads the Maryland Guard, a pair of one-star generals in command of grounded and air troops, and a senior enlisted non-commissioned officer. The unique situation came together last year with the planned move and retirement of the previous leadership team that would begin that summer. Major General Linda Singh, the Adjutant General of the Maryland National Guard, told reporters Thursday that she, when she reviewed the sales sets that she was seeking among the eligible candidates, it became clear to her that it might result in an historic all-female leadership team. A quick quote from her. It was really about timing, and it's about having the leaders that have the right skill set, said Singh, who since 2015 has led 16,000 guardsmen that make up the Maryland National Guard, 20% of whom are women. I don't think really in my whole career I've ever seen it line up perfect. 
said Singh. So someone was looking out for me. I was looking for someone very specific within backgrounds to be able to come keep come into these positions. And each of these individuals had that piece of that. The story goes on to deeper into how the team was sort of formed and how it was seen coming and formed between her Singh and the Maryland governor, Larry Hogan, who of course um, was pretty much good, good with that as it was coming out. So go to our website. This is a conversation.com. Click on the link for this week's podcast and you will see the link to that story. Read it deeper or search for it online. So you can get more details and more insight on this very historic thing. After last week with the great story about the pilot co-pilot team uh, that fly together that who happen to be mother and daughter. This is another great thing in the, the progress for women. Not that I need to pander to that, but this is just one thing that popped up great. We popped it in there early to go through the weekend, and it lasted all week long, obviously, as a number two story for this week. This week, the number one story is a super story. We'll explain the deeper details in segment two, but it's a story that's extremely chilling, extremely odd, and the resolutions of it are are still being still being worked out right now with, with breaking news happening uh, literally uh, this morning before after we had we cut off the counting for the stories. We're going to read you the headline to one of the stories, the latest story we posted. Uh, but the latest story was posted last night as the update came up to this one yesterday, I should say, Thursday, April the fourth. This was the top Twitter story for the week. And I say it's combined, so we'll get to how that works as well. It gets a bumper response of 53.9% from the number two story. That's just from the number two story this week. From the number 10 story this week, which was the story on Zion Williamson's missing shoe being worth possibly $250,000, the bump of response was 267%. And from the almost relevant story this week, which is number 208, we'll tell you what it is in a moment, the response was 3,830% more. The total story is a weird one, but the headline from the second story basically tells you all. Authorities have rejected a teenager's claim that he is an Illinois boy who disappeared in 2011. That story, the second part we received, the source of that one is from ABC News as well. I'm going to read you a few lines from from this. Actually, I'm not going to reach you. I'm just going to just kind of give you the quick details. So keep things going real quickly. So the boy who's been missing since 2011, his name is Timothy Pinson. Pitson. Um, he's been missing all that time. A young teenager came out of the woodworks claiming that he was that person. And, you know, he would be that that 14 year old kid uh, from Kentucky that that was lost because they don't just take people on their name. They actually did a DNA test and they ruled him out because um, it wasn't him. So here's who he was. The story that we have listed has an update to the, the main story later than after we posted it. And it tells you exactly what they found out. By DNA, he was not the young boy they're looking for, Timothy Pitson. He was actually 23-year-old Ohio man named Brian Reaney from Medina in Northeast Ohio, if that makes any difference. He has a prison record, and this is not the first time he has tried to pass off his identity of someone else as him being that person. 
doing things from burglary to writing checks to at one point in time using his younger brother's identity to try to get out of a traffic stop. Yes, a 23-year-old man tried to claim to be a teenager who had been missing from being a child a few years back. No one knows the motivation behind this really stupid hoax yet. And some people don't really care. They just don't understand why this guy would uh, stir up the emotions of the world, number one, the family, number two, and just, you know, mostly piss off his own family for just being a jerk. We'll learn more about this story. As I said, the uh, details about the, uh, the, the young man being a young man and the details of his criminal record are still coming to light um, hours after we cut this thing off for going on. We had the original story we posted was the boy who claimed to be the young boy. And, of course, the update is that then is the worst time for a pun, the boy that turned out to be a man and a totally just awful man at that. So there you have it. We have 10 stories from 10 to 1. The top stories that you told me were the most important to talk about this week, and that's what we talked about in segment number 1. Segment number 2, we will reveal what the almost relevant story is this week, and it also uh, bucks the trend of being something posted the last day of the of the countdown. This is something posted on Wednesday. So it had it will still relatively late, but everything past it had a chance to go go well above it, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Plus, we'll explain the details between the two super stories and the the Christopher Darden story that didn't get sucked into the Nipsey Russell story. Nipsey Russell. See, that's I knew I was going to do that. Nipsey Hustle story. That's coming up in just a moment here on the wrap up show with me, Jay Cleveland Payne from thisisaconversation.com. This is for the week ending April the 6th, 2019. Oh, yeah. Cloud9 Living, one of the best sponsors, the best partnerships I've ever had in any endeavor I've had because they are one of the better just brands out there. There are plenty of places that will offer you a great, and then they do offer great excursions, but Cloud9 Living basically takes care of every single thing that you can ask about. Do they have adventurous excursions? Yes. Do they have romantic excursions? Yes. Do they have plain old regular excursions? Yes. Do they have golf? Yes. Do they cover the continental United States? Definitely. Do they do worldwide excursions? Yes. Are they safe and controlled and protected? Yes. And the biggest one that most people don't think about, when I purchase my excursion, if I change my mind, do I get my money back? That's a super yes, because not only do you change, if you change your mind and you have something planned, you can pull your money back and put it on another excursion. You can buy a gift certificate and not have a plan and hold on to it indefinitely because the value of your certificates never go away. So you can have an excursion in your back pocket literally for any time you want to pull it out and cash it in and go for it from Cloud9 Living. These people take good care of you in your great vacations for whatever crazy idea you can think of. They've got you covered. And we've got you covered at This Is A Conversation with a great deal for a great deal off for your gift certificates. Go to our website, this is a conversation.com slash cloud nine. This is a conversation.com slash cloud nine. 
thisistheconversation.com slash cloud9. That's, of course, the numeral nine there. And you'll get a great deal with a, a little chunk off the price of your gift certificate. So you don't even have to pay full price for that. Get free money just by going through us and our link. And we are so happy for all of our proud sponsors, people who will help us keep this podcast going. But we have always, always, always special love when we showcase Cloud9 Living because they take care they take care of me for my vacations and allowed me and my wife to take, oddly enough, separate vacations because she likes crazy stuff and I just want to sit in the quiet. We get her a certificate to do her fun, crazy, wild thing, and I go sit in the quiet. It makes our marriage go very much greatly. That was not grammatically correct, but you know what I'm saying. So if you want to give someone a great gift and want them to go and do it on their own so you don't have to deal about the crazy, or if you want to do the crazy, check out Cloud9 Living. They have the best excursions and something I'm sure as crazy as you think it might be, they can get something pretty close to what you're looking for at Cloud9 Living. Let's go ahead and get the housekeeping part done first and get out all the things from the last batches we had in the in the in the podcast in the top 10. We're going to start at the 10 to the bottom. So going from the lower problems, if you will, to the higher problems. There weren't too many lower problems. They're all basically bundled together. As we said, Nipsey Hussle, the rapper, was killed this week. The story, oddly enough, had a lot of the details just sort of baked into it. And as the police just released more pieces, they had a full story or more or less full story. We don't call a person a a killer until they are convicted, basically, or they admit it. So we are still saying that the shooter is still the alleged shooter. He actually pleaded not guilty in court the other day. Uh, but from the get-go, we, we saw what happened via the videotape, the, uh, the security footage. Security footage was able to easily recognize the person. They easily identified him. And for about a day, even though they probably picked him up much earlier than we thought, uh, we knew what we, who we were looking for in this. So we posted a story fairly late because it happened Sunday night into Monday on the Nipsey Hussle murder. And then we posted a story uh, not too late after the incident at the vigil, uh, but well past things going on when we knew the story was going on. And what essentially happened was at the same time that they released the name of the victim or the name of the assailant, I should say, uh, they were in the middle of the vigil and there was just sort of some sort of weird something happening there. We believe it was with the naming of the victim because uh, it happened simultaneous or more or less simultaneous. So we posted something about the vigil and the issues with that. We left it alone from there as they basically just kept putting out more and more details that made it look like Eric Holder, the suspect in this murder, pretty much did it. So we just kind of kept shut on that one until we got the message yesterday, which was trending and just too hard to to get onto. And and as you guys saw uh, all by itself. It was a massive hit in social media from you guys itself. The number three story by itself, which is really a story about Christopher Darden, not Eric Holder, the person charged with murdering Nipsey Hussle or the Nipsey Hussle Russell Hussle Russell Nipsey Hussle murder itself. But the fact that Eric, it's getting crazy. Chris Darden is back in the news and doing something that seems weird. He's defending a person who seems like he's guilty. When in the past he was trying to convict a guy who seemed like he was guilty, we'll see if he's better on this side than the other side on that end. Finally, we have the story with the teenager who was a 23-year-old dude 
who claimed to be a missing 11-year-old, six years removed. So no, he's not a 17-year-old kid who was uh, missing for a while. He really is a crook, a criminal. So those two stories are obviously together. We posted the original uh, based on about a day or so of the claims going in there. It was about a half a day or a day or so before we actually got ours posted in there about him claiming to be the missing person. And then pretty quickly after they rejected it, we put that in there and put it in the system, and that was posted within 40 minutes to, to a half hour of us knowing that he was not the young teenager. And then we did not update the story with him being the, the crook, the story was actually updated in the story we posted on the authority saying he was rejected. So we had that information there, there, but we did not offer you guys a chance to vote on that one. So we only had two stories dealing with that very sad story for Timothy Pithen. Uh, and we hope that there will still be some positive resolution to that story and not this little blip that just made things all kind of crazy. So right now we're going to go ahead and jump to 208. 208, we had 208 distinct different postings this week, distinct stories that we posted about. And this one was posted on Wednesday, April the 3rd. So this one was posted a few days before we cut things off. And normally we see problems or see issues where the where the almost relevant story is a story that is something that's relatively late, posted Thursday late night or Friday morning before we, we, we chop it off. There was a lot of activity going into Thursday to Friday, so there was no chance for that. But this one was a little silly, a lot silly. And just got left behind in the full just details of the this the seriousness, the serious the serious stuff we had going on all week long. Headline for this one is Tanker crashes onto MacArthur Boulevard spilling a load of milk. Driver hospitalized. This was posted on, as we said, we posted on Wednesday the third. The thing happened on the second. So this is a story which is updated a little bit after it. So I'm gonna read uh, some quick pieces. As I said, you can go to our website, this is a conversation.com, and click on the, the link for this week's podcast. There's a link for every single story, the source right there. We pull this from the WBAP News Talk website, which happens to be a sister station of one of the, the stations grouped out working in Arkansas. WBAP is a famous station in Texas. Uh, it's a sister station of our company, it's a Cumulus station. I work for Cumulus Radio full time. But a few lines from the story, which has the. Um, well, we're going to go with the update first. The driver of the truck was released from the hospital Tuesday afternoon. The driver faces a charge of failure to maintain proper control. Grand Prairie police believe the driver fell asleep prior to the truck going off the overpass. From the beginning of the story, a tanker truck carrying milk left the roadway off the I-30 bridge in Grand Prairie early this morning around 4 a.m., crashing onto MacArthur Boulevard. The milk compartment did not rupture. But the tank carrying natural gas, fueling the tanker, spilled its load. Gas quickly dissipated into the atmosphere. Truck driver was transported to the hospital in unknown condition. That's the big thing. So so we know the details. This is all not quite happy ending, but we know how, how it goes. And it spilled a load of milk, but not onto the actual road, which would have been the bigger story. But a milk truck spilling its load, but not quite its milk, in Texas. Coming up in mere moments, we're going to get to the top 15, 11 through 15, rounding out the stories that didn't quite make it into the tops and talking a bit of that why. Here, oh, oh of course, shout-outs coming up as well. On the Wrap-Up Show with Jay Cleveland Payne for the week ending April the 6th, 2019. 
Hello there, physically attractive podcast listener. My name is Steve Ross. I'm Sean Crandall. I'm Dustin White. And we're the hosts of Dregs of Craigs. On our podcast, we explore the most bizarre, repulsive, and downright confounding Craigslist ads we can find from all over the country, live for your amusement. Come find out the best place to book an axe-throwing party for your child's birthday. Stay up to date on Mario's Hawaiian Sex Marathon. Or just sit back and relax as we make more anime references than any rational human being should be comfortable with. It's a hilarious exploration of how we as a species are drifting further and further from the possibility of redemption. And we want you along for the ride. Listen to Dregs of Craigslist on Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're a regular listener to the podcast, we could use a few more hands into the voting process, a few more eyeballs checking things out. And we have a lot of new faces here. I haven't done a real count of how many new people, but a lot of people jumping in on Facebook. Twitter looks like it's slowing down. So whatever it is, your social media uh, vice of choice, we're there. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On Instagram, we put out a daily blab of what the top five things are and a link to usually the podcast. So you can't really vote there, but you can keep up with the news that we have as well. Well, so starting off with the Twitter, which is TH underscore conversation on Facebook and Instagram. We're under this is the conversation. And of course, our main website is this is the conversation dot com. Now, right now, let's do some shout outs starting off with the Facebook since we have so many newer names in here. New names seem like uh, coming from Chelsea, Victoria. Louise Sumney is a regular name. Also, Junk Rebellion, which is another podcast we were too cool about, and Adjunct Noise, another podcast who's following our conversations. Tony Brown is in the house this week, as long as Clarence E. Springer. Uh, we also have Kwame Abdul Bey, who's just always there, and believe it or not, my lovely bride, Christina Payne. Christina with a K, uh, actually listening to some pieces I'm doing, which is kind of an oddity for what's going on. Also, quick love to another podcaster, MRD Podcast, also go out there sharing things that we're putting out there in the world. Podcasters got to help each other out, which is why I have this segment open up for podcasters who want to promote their podcast. If you want to hook up with that, uh, look for me at the conversation inbox at gmail.com and we can make that work out very easy and pretty um, effective and, and efficient and cheap. Because I'm doing it for free. Now going to the the Twitter guys, I'm losing myself. Going to Twitter, we have Don Juan, the boy Wonder, Shrays, the Girly Leap Honda Group, with Girly Leap Honda, also GM Giant, and um, all the rest of his car dealerships. So hopefully you got a couple of cards out of that. So those free press. Eric Anon. Rob Mansfield, we have Acting Magazine, thank you Acting Magazine, as well as a podcast about something, another podcast jumping in, showing your love for us as a podcast. Thank you so much for that, and thank you so much for sticking around for all the stuff going on, including rounding out the top 15. Now this is where we talk about the stories not quite in the range. These are a few of the ones that we actually tease, plus a couple more. We tease three, and then we go through all 15 that aren't quite in the rankings for top 10 we may go they're usually fairly big stories that are more or less in contention all week long then something later pushes them down or something just weird voodoo sometimes so let's go through those very quickly and get out of here for the for the weekend and have some fun it almost feels like spring except for all the rain we're getting but your your mileage may vary on that as well let's start off with the story at 11 which is a good place to start and the headline we posted on saturday march 30th which lasted quite a bit 
was that Alex Jones says, quote, form of psychosis, unquote, made him believe events like Sandy Hook massacre were staged. We got this from CNN.com, and it's pretty straightforward, unfortunately. Um, Alex Jones is sort of admitting that he's kind of crazy, or at least that the things that he's saying are crazy, and the reason why he said that are not because he's a flat-out liar, but he does have some sort of psychosis, some sort of thing where he believes a lot of the things that he says. And because he believes them so much, he gets to be so passionate about them, and he gets so passionate about them that people, other people believe them as well when they are pretty much lies. Now, the big thing, the, the detail that they're, they're really focused on is because he's being sued by, again, essentially by parents, uh, of children, just parents around Sandy Hook, exactly. On December 14th, 2012, 20 children and six adults were killed by a 20-year-old Adam Lanza in Sandy Hook Elementary School at Newtown, Connecticut. This, uh, one of the rashes of school shootings that we've had in a while, which kind of makes it a rash, but this is one that Jones and his InfoWars blog and, and stuff went big on. At the time, he was carried on more than 160 stations, and he called that whole thing a giant hoax, and it was just a way for child actors, crisis actors, people who show up in a crisis to make it look bigger, uh, were there to scare people who wanted to oppose the Second Amendment or some weirdness like that. Um, he's also said things about that about September 11th and various other things, including the biggest recent one is the Parkland shooting. So Alex Jones by my opinion, is a crazy person. And probably by everyone else's what I said a sense, is a crazy person, but he's a crazy person with an audience and a lot of people that listen and buy all his weird supplements and whatnots. So what he's saying now is, because he's being sued by a bunch of different people for a bunch of different reasons, and even at the weird lawsuit with his ex-wife, he's basically owning up to the fact that what he's saying is crazy and he's playing it up. But unlike someone like Jerry Springer, he's not playing it up for laughs and is the actual butt of the jokes. He's still trying to get around the responsibility of playing the joke. The number 12 story uh, is something that you may have been able to test out where you are, but the story and the press release went live, essentially, on April 1st, April Fool's Day. And it was the first thing the people thought might actually been a actual joke. And while the McPickle Burger by McDonald's is a joke that some people apparently want to get their hands on, this one is not and may be coming to a Burger King near you. The headline is, Plant-Based Protein Comes to Burger King, Meet the Impossible Whopper. And Burger King has done their best to do all they can with vegetable um, burgers. And they used to have one that was essentially the... Um, the Boca Burger, I guess, the whatever brand. I'm not. It could have been Morningstar, it could have been Boca Burger, but it was a major brand that had vegetable burgers. And every so often, they'll put one on the menu and it'll go away. And I put it on the menu and go away. And it's mostly because, you know, there's not a lot of demand for it, and so the hassle to go through it is 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 just massive. I can tell you for myself, I'm trying to stay away from fatty fast foods. So for a short while, I tried to go to Popeyes Chicken because they had the uh, blackened chicken tenders which were not fried. But when you get there and get to the line, they, they're not fried like everything else, so it's a matter of waiting like 10 minutes for them to be done. And so it's not very fast. If you, have to, if you place an order and wait 10 minutes, you might as well go to an actual restaurant. This is something that should fix that. The Impossible Whopper uh, is going to maybe do what it can. The fast food chain has a $21 billion um, um, in sales, 
system working worldwide to make this happen. So they're trying to make this thing happen. Or they have $21 billion in sales are trying to make this a bigger part of their sales, a bigger part of their footprint. Because if someone can master this, you know, you can take the whole family to a, a place. And if someone's not eating meat, they can grab onto this. There are some other places that have limited editions with that. Um, but like White Castle has Impossible Sliders, essentially the same different fake beef. And Carl's Jr. has a burger uh, with um, essentially the same sort of, of meat in it. Burger King is trying to go larger. Burger King is a larger franchise, if you will, international because it's hiding in Canada. We're going to see how well the Impossible Whoppers work. Uh, it's already being test marketed in some places, and if there's tested enough that they can talk about it, they say it's coming. They say it's coming. They did not renege that on the day after April Fool's Day, so apparently Impossible Whoppers are on the way. This next story I have to take, I have to give full credit to my man, um, James McDaniel, who I've talked about here on the podcast and interviewed him about a year and a half ago last. Uh, He posted this in his feed, so I had to go looking for it. And yes, it is true. This is your headline. World's first jaguar born by artificial insemination is eaten by mom. Posted on Wednesday the 3rd as well. Uh, So the post came from the New York Post, the actual article that he pulled and I went and looked for from the New York Post. And it's um it's fairly simple. The Jaguar Aider Cub, which isn't so much uh, it isn't so much the weird part, uh, but it was the fact that the Jaguar ate the cub six days after its birth. Um, couldn't because of artificial insemination, it just apparently did not feel like it was worthy of being mothered, like it was not of hers. Uh, and and that's what's the real sad thing about this. The team behind this, the organization called Mata Silar in Jundar Solo Paulo, uh, in the state that's a state in Brazil, thought, called the birth a scientific breakthrough and a con- and a growth for conversation of the species. They are endangered. Uh, but then of course the baby not only died but was eaten by the actual mother. As we said, it's not uncommon in captivity or in nature for um, animals like this to be carnivores, but it is sort of uncommon that they would eat out their own offspring. This may have been a similar case. The joke that that my friend said was essentially the mother knew you know, it was not real, so who knows. We will find out more about this hopefully, and hopefully they'll find a way to get this be a successful option for birthing of animals who are endangered so that we don't lose them. The next story is a serious one. Actually, the next two are kind of serious, but this is one, the only thing that's really major political that deals with anything Trump-wise this week made it into the 14th spot with very little coaxing. It just sort of wavered here all week long. Posted on April the 3rd, headline reads, McConnell invokes nuclear option to clear way for lower-level Trump nominees. I'm going to read a little bit from this. We pulled this from NBC News' website. I'm going to read a few lines from this because this is a really serious deal and will mean a lot to politics going forward and the repercussions won't be seen for not quite generations but for iterations two or three iterations of the next upcoming congress so in the next next five to six years five to ten years we will see where this option this move this political thing will do something to do some weird more weirdness here in the united states Senate Republicans on Wednesday used a controversial procedure tactic called the nuclear option to change the chamber's rules to make it easier to confirm lower-level Trump appointees. 
The effort, led by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, comes after Republicans failed to adopt the resolution to change the chamber's rules so that non-cabinet-level executives and district court nominations would face only two hours of floor debate rather than 30 before a confirmation vote. The resolution received only 51 of the 60 votes required for adoption, mainly by long party lines. Senate action on Wednesday lasted throughout the afternoon. The chamber first voted 51 to 48 largely long party lines to change the rules to slash debate time for sub-cabinet level executive branch nominees and took the same action and almost mostly on party lines in the early evening of district court judges. So essentially there's a rule that allows so much debate, or there is or was a rule, to allow so much debate for appointing people because it's, it's there. In the past, it was just just time to have, time to kill, if you will. And now it's been used as political theater, for the most part, to stretch, delay, and just get in the way of getting things getting done. So what the nuclear option does, it allows a change in procedure. So now there's no longer a need for debate, no longer need for any sort of back and forth, and not even the possibility of a filibuster to hold up any votes or debates. Because it basically turns the voting on any issue that gets blown up nuclear-wise into a straight-up-and-down vote. Then it becomes the majority wins. If the majority wins, you're good. The Senate has 100 members, so if it's 50-50, the vice president of the United States is the president of the Senate, air quotes, but he really is. And so even if it's a 50-50, the vice president shows up that day, he votes 51 to 50 wins the way. So you all you need is a simple majority, not two thirds in most cases, but a simple majority to make it work. And if it's something the president's going to go for, there's no reason to try to shore up any extra votes because it's not important. You already get that. So nuclear option makes the debate much simpler, makes things faster and easier, but it literally blows up the opportunity to do all the dramatic things we sort of love about government, like the overnight all long all nighter filibuster. Those things go away because there's no chance to add into debate. You basically put put a motion in place, and within moments, in you know this time, it goes to the floor for a vote. And finally, New Orleans mayor to apologize to Italian Americans for 1891 lynching considered deadliest in history. This was from the Hill. The source of it, April 1st, also the day we posted that one. Uh, as I said, it's in the number 15 spot, and this is an inter- interesting bit of history. Something that I learned about a few months ago. For um, oddly enough, during Black History Month, when we were talking about this stuff, this was something that when we were, t- we were talking about the the legacy of lynching in a discussion. This right here is the largest lynching in the history of of the United States, and it doesn't deal with African-Americans. It deals with Italians. Let me read a, a few lines from the story so you can kind of see where it goes. New Orleans Mayor Latoya Cantrell said she will apologize to Italian-Americans for the 1891 lynchings of 11 Italian immigrants widely considered to be the deadliest in U.S. history. Cantrell said she plans to issue a formal apology April 12th for the vi- violence that took place in 1891 after a police chief was thought to have been murdered by Italian immigrants, according to NOLA.com. Eleven Italian immigrants lost their lives in violent lynchings following acquittals in police commissioner David Hennessy's murder case. Our office was work- has worked with the Italian American community on this issue and will be releasing a proclamation, spokesman for mayor's office Joseph Corso told the local news outlet. The apologies will probably be issued at New Orleans American's Italian Cultural Center. 
And there's more details about the actual procedure going on in there. But this was something that was, you know, when I learned about it, caught my attention as, as interesting. And it's interesting that a the black mayor, black female mayor of New Orleans, is offering up this apology. Timing is, you know, timing is always timing. You can always think of timing as you want to. But it's interesting that that is what she is offering up to this group. There are many things going on around in the world about, you know, the 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 constant rattle about the whole um, reparations and stuff like that. The, the, the fact, you know, 40 acres and a mule is never coming to, to people, but every so often comes up as, as an ask. And every so often comes up as these apologies that are symbolic, but don't really mean that much other than the symbol can't really go back in time and fix these things. This is an interesting twist on that and brings up to brings to light some serious history, some knowledge that most people don't know and would probably normalize some of the things that we have as differences between us if we knew more of this history. And this is the closest thing I can get to a black, 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 black topic this week, even though it's dealing with Italians in lynching. It just happened that way and it barely got in there. It was not not too far away from being in the top 10, but obviously not close enough. It was a very packed and a very a very diverse, despite the two super stories, a very diverse packing this week and a very interesting week for the news all in general. And with that, the week is done. At least the countdown for this week as per you are done. So we're counting down again going forward starting on Friday, April the 5th, going all the way to the next Friday. So seven and a half days or so we will have another countdown of sorts. Or not even sorts. We'll have a countdown, but it will be sorted by you. The things that you tell me are the best things to talk about. And you're already doing it right now. Go to Twitter and follow us at TH underscore conversation. Follow us on Facebook at This Is A Conversation. And as you see stories coming up in your feed, make sure you make us a primary in your feed. Like them, love them, share them. Do whatever is appropriate to put your put some love on them. Let us know that they are important to you. And at the end of these seven and a half days, we're going to put them in the spreadsheet, run the numbers, and crunch things out and get a full comparison, a full listing of the top stories from number one to as far as we go next week. Will we get 208 next week? Only next week can we see the results for that number. We'll see. 200 has been a consistent thing. So 203, 205 has been pretty consistent. So I think we can stick around around that level and we'd be pretty, pretty good at, at saying we'll have a very diverse number of stories to choose from. While ratings and reviews of the podcast are awesome, it helps people know when they kick a look at it, what they're going to get. You've got to help people get to that. There are 600, 700,000 podcasts out there in existence, and it's hard to think someone will just stumble upon the ones that you like. So if you like this one, make sure you are, number one, subscribed yourself so you don't miss out on episodes as they come down in your feed. We're on all the podcatchers that are pretty much mainstream important, and if you have one that's a little off-cast, uh, go to the website, click the link for their RSS feed, or contact us. We'll get us. We'll find a way to get onto that podcast site as best as possible of course you need to tell some friends tell some enemies and find random strangers take their phones take them just snatch them out of their hands uh, go to whatever app you like because it's it's really all about you uh, pull up the podcast subscribe hit play hand it back to them and walk on down the line for the next person and do that about 10 12 times a day that would give us some pretty good numbers we'd appreciate that and trust me they always yell back in appreciation of what you've done for them it happens every single time. I've seen it. It's, it's amazing. 
You can follow us, of course, at all the main places we've said, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, also at thisistheconversation.com. Main website is thisistheconversation.com. And, of course, we really, really, really want you to talk, chat with us, talk to us. So email the, the show, the show, that's what it is, at theconversationinbox at gmail.com. And, of course, email me directly at jcoonpain.net. No, that's my website. You can email me at jcoonpain at gmail.com. It's been a long week and apparently a long day of taping, so we're going to wrap it up right now for real. I will say thank you three times and get off the mic. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm Jay Cleveland Payne, thanking you, I guess, a fourth time for being a part of the conversation with The Wrap-Up Show, which is brought to you by thisisaconversation.com. <laughs>